Hold up. What just happened? Did I delete the intro? But I don't... How did this... Can someone... Hey! Anyone home? I don't remember the intro and... Uh, I guess it's useless. Suppose I'll try this on my own. Let's see. Um... Hi! People? What's up? Uh, no. Um, hi everyone. Um, it's Nudie, your favorite podcast host. Uh, I, um, accidentally deleted the intro to this episode, but you know what the podcast is called and you know me, so let's just get on with it. Um, so today, of course, we're going to hear the seventh chapter of... It's chapter six, part two. What's that you say? You've got it wrong. Oh, oh, sorry. It's the second part of the sixth chapter of our book, A Little Princess. And our rhyme comes from, as you know, always the Jingle Book by Carolyn Wells. Hey, I'm getting better at this. That's good. Um, wait, what's next? Oh, come on. I just had to say that. Well, you know, as usual, just please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Everything helps. And you can send me an email at readingbookswithnudie at gmail.com. I'll try to answer everyone. Oh, and if you'd like the jingles to read along with, email me and I'll send them to you so you can read them. Okay, let's get started. Wait, which chapter was it again? All right. <laughs> I'm so getting fired for this. Oh, wait, I'm my boss. I can't fire my... Anyway, chapter six, The Diamond Mines, part two. Ooh, this should be fun. Okay, okay, I'm concentrating. After this, the girls who were jealous of her used to speak of her as Princess Sarah whenever they wished to be particularly disdainful, and those who were fond of her gave her the name among themselves as a term of affection. No one called her princess instead of Sarah, but her adorers were much pleased with the picturesqueness and grandeur of the title, and Miss Minchin, hearing of it, mentioned it more than once to visiting parents, feeling that it rather suggested a sort of royal boarding school. To Becky, it seemed the most appropriate thing in the world. The acquaintance begun on the foggy afternoon when she had jumped up, terrified from her sleep in the comfortable chair, had ripened and grown, though it must be confessed that Miss Minchin and Miss Amelia knew very little about it. They were aware that Sarah was kind to the scullery maid, but they knew nothing of certain delightful moments snatched perilously when, the upstairs rooms being set in order with lightning rapidity, Sarah's sitting room was reached and the heavy coal box set down with a sigh of joy. At such times, stories were told by installments. Things of a satisfying nature were either produced and eaten or hastily tucked into pockets to be disposed of at night when Becky went upstairs to her attic to bed. But I has to eat em careful, miss, she said once, cause if I leaves crumbs, the rats come out to get em. Rats, exclaimed Sarah in horror. Are there rats there? Lots of em, miss. Becky answered in quite a matter-of-fact manner. There mostly is rats and mice in attics. You get used to the noise they make scuttling about. 
I've got so I don't mind them as long as they don't run over my pillar. Ugh, said Sarah. You get used to anything after a bit, said Becky. You have to, miss, if you're born a scullery maid. I'd rather have rats than cockroaches. So would I, said Sarah. I suppose you might make friends with a rat in time, but I don't believe I should like to make friends with a cockroach. Sometimes Becky did not dare to spend more than a few minutes in the bright, warm room, and when this was the case, perhaps only a few words could be exchanged, and a small purchase slipped into the old-fashioned pocket Becky carried under her dress skirt, tied round her waist with a band of tape. The search for and discovery of satisfying things to eat, which could be packed into small compass, added a new interest to Sarah's existence. When she drove or walked out, she used to look into shop windows eagerly. The first time it occurred to her to bring home two or three little meat pies, she felt that she had hit upon a discovery. When she exhibited them, Becky's eyes quite sparkled. Oh, miss, she murmured, them will be nice and fillin'. It's fillin' as it's best. Sponge cake's an heavenly thing, but it melts away like, if you understand, miss. These'll just stay in your stomach. Well, hesitated Sarah, I don't think it would be good if they stayed always, but I do believe they will be satisfying. They were satisfying, and so were beef sandwiches bought at a cook shop, and so were rolls and bologna sausage. In time, Becky began to lose her hungry, tired feeling, and the coal box did not seem so unbearably heavy. However heavy it was, and whatsoever the temper of the cook, the hardness of the work heaped upon her shoulders, she always had the chance of the afternoon to look forward to, the chance that Miss Sarah would be able to be in her sitting room. In fact, the mere seeing of Miss Sarah would have been enough without meat pies. If there was time only for a few words, they were always friendly, merry words that put heart into one, and if there was time for more, then there was an installment of a story to be told, or some other thing one remembered afterward, and sometimes lay awake in one's bed in the attic to think over. Sarah, who was only doing what she unconsciously liked better than anything else, nature having made her for a giver, had not the least idea what she meant to poor Becky, and how wonderful a benefactor she seemed. If nature has made you for a giver, your hands are born open, and so is your heart, and though there may be times when your hands are empty, your heart is always full, and you can give things out of that, warm things, kind things, sweet things, help and comfort and laughter, and sometimes gay, kind laughter is the best help of all. Becky had scarcely known what laughter was through all her poor little hard-driven life. Sarah made her laugh and laughed with her, and though neither of them quite knew it, the laughter was as fillin' as the meat pies. A few weeks before Sarah's eleventh birthday, a letter came to her from her father, which did not seem to be written in such boyish high spirits as usual. He was not very well, and was evidently overweighted by the business connected with the diamond mines. "'You see, little Sarah,' he wrote, "'your daddy is not a business man at all, and figures and documents bother him. He does not really understand them, and all this seems so enormous.' Perhaps if I was not feverish, I should not be awake, tossing about one half of the night and spend the other half in troublesome dreams. If my little missus were here, 
I dare say she would give me some solemn good advice. You would, wouldn't you, little missus? One of his many jokes had been to call her his little missus because she had such an old-fashioned air. He had made wonderful preparations for her birthday. Among other things, a new doll had been ordered in Paris, and her wardrobe was to be, indeed, a marvel of splendid perfection. When she had replied to the letter asking her if the doll would be an acceptable present, Sarah had been very quaint. I am getting very old, she wrote. You see, I shall never live to have another doll given me. This will be my last doll. There is something solemn about it. If I could write poetry, I am sure a poem about a last doll would be very nice. But I cannot write poetry. I have tried, and it made me laugh. It did not sound like Watts or Coleridge or Shakespeare at all. No one could ever take Emily's place, but I should respect the last doll very much, and I am sure the school would love it. They all like dolls, though some of the big ones, the almost fifteen ones, pretend they are too grown up. Captain Crewe had a splitting headache when he read this letter in his bungalow in India. The table before him was heaped with papers and letters which were alarming him and filling him with anxious dread, but he laughed as he had not laughed for weeks. Oh, he said, she's better fun every year she lives. God grant this business may right itself and leave me free to run home and see her. What wouldn't I give to have her little arms round my neck this minute? What wouldn't I give? The birthday was to be celebrated by great festivities. The schoolroom was to be decorated, and there was to be a party. The boxes containing the presents were to be opened with great ceremony, and there was to be a glittering feast spread in Miss Minchin's sacred room. When the day arrived, the whole house was in a whirl of excitement. How the morning passed, nobody quite knew, because there seemed such preparations to be made. The schoolroom was being decked with garlands of holly, the desks had been moved away, and red covers had been put on the forms which were arrayed round the room against the wall. When Sarah went into her sitting room in the morning, she found on the table a small, dumpy package tied up in a piece of brown paper. She knew it was a present, and she thought she could guess whom it came from. She opened it quite tenderly. It was a square pink cushion made of not quite clean red flannel, and black pins had been stuck carefully into it to form the words, Many Happy Returns. Oh, cried Sarah with the warm feeling in her heart, what pain she has taken. I like it so, it, it makes me feel sorrowful. But the next moment she was mystified. On the other side of the pincushion was secured a card bearing in neat letters the name Miss Amelia Minchin. Sarah turned it over and over. Miss Amelia, she said to herself, how can it be? And just at that very moment, she heard the door being cautiously pushed open and saw Becky peeping round it. There was an affectionate, happy grin on her face, and she shuffled forward and stood nervously pulling at her fingers. Do you like it, Miss Sarah? she said. Dear? Like it, cried Sarah. You darling Becky, you made it all yourself. Becky gave a hysteric but joyful sniff, and her eyes looked quite moist with delight. It ain't nothing but flannel, 
and the flannel ain't new, but I wanted to give yer something, and I made it of nights. I knew yer could pretend it was satin with diamond pins in. I tried to when I was making it. The card, miss, rather doubtfully. Twarn't wrong of me to pick it out of the dustbin, was it? Miss Miller had thrown it away. I had no card of my own, and I knowed it wouldn't be a proper present if I didn't pin a card on. So I pinned Miss Miller's. Sarah flew at her and hugged her. She could not have told herself or anyone else why there was a lump in her throat. Oh, Becky, she cried out with a queer little laugh. I love you, Becky. I do, I do. Oh, miss, breathed Becky. Thank you, miss, kindly. It ain't good enough for that. The, the flannel wasn't new. Well, that was the end of our chapter today and of this week's chapter as well. So if you'll come back next week, we'll have a new chapter. And, oh. Wait, what goes now? Do you remember? That's right! The jingle! Okay, well, this jingle is called The Intelligent Hen. Chickens, take note. Twas long ago, a year or so, in a barnyard by the sea, that an old hen lived whom you may know by the name of Fiddle de Dee. She scratched around in the sand all day, for a lively hen was she. And then, do you know, it happened this way in that barnyard by the sea. A great wise owl came down one day and hooted and fiddled a dee, just hooted and fiddled a dee. And he cried, Hi, hi, old hen, I say. You're provincial, it seems to me. Why, what do you mean? cried the old red hen, as mad as hops was she. Oh, I've been around among great men in the world where the great men be. And none of them scratch where their claws like you. They write with a quill like me. Now very few people could get ahead of that old hen, fiddle diddy. She went and hunted the posy bed and returned in triumphant glee. And ever since that little red hen, she writes with a jonkle pen, kill pen. She writes with a jonkle pen. Well, there's the end of our episode today. Did you enjoy it? I hope you did. I certainly did. I have to say that the introduction might find itself into the next episode. You'll just have to come back and see. Or listen. Well, as usual, what did you think of the jingle? Would you like to be a wise old hen? Send me an email, it's in the show notes, and I'll read some of your answers in a few weeks. Colossal thanks to Epidemic Sound for the songs and sound you heard today and to Project Gutenberg for the books we read. And also to Heather who did the whispers in the intro. And that's the end of our episode today. I hope you enjoyed it. Come back next Monday for a new episode when we will continue our story. Have a great weekend. Oh,